0: Well, good morning, church. How we doing? We doing good? All right. Well, as Jeremy said, my name is Jack Nornberg, and I just have the privilege of being your guys' pastoral intern. And it's it's been it's been a ride. It's been fun, that's for sure. So I've been here for, for three years, and I just love serving alongside you guys. It's it's such a blessing just to just to be with you guys, just to serve with you guys. And have one mission in mind. And that's to proclaim the gospel as one church. And so I'm just thankful for you guys. And so this is my my third time having the opportunity to preach up here. And somehow I'm always talking about love. So I'm always talking about love. Every single time I'm up here. And so it's got me thinking like what is love? What is true love? So I know when my parents... They're high school sweethearts, right? And so every time they called each other when they were 15 years old, they said, I love you about 50 times before they hung up. And so if you listen to the Nornbergs, every time we leave or walk out of a door, you guys know, every time, love you, bye, love you, bye. Yeah, love you, bye. Love you, bye. Love you, bye. It's, if you don't say it at least 10 times, they're going to think you're mad. So is that, is that love? Saying it over and over and over until they finally understand what it means. You see, I, I recently got engaged, right? I got down Yeah, there it is. So I recently got engaged, right? I got down on one knee, gave her a ring. Is this true love? Is this true love? <laughs> Matt says yes. What about Valentine's Day, right? The the chocolates, the the roses. Is that true love? What about, what about Disney movies? Who likes Disney movies in here? Yeah, all the students, some adults. Disney movies, right? It's the fairy tale, picture-perfect love story, right? Is this true love? What about every romance movie we see on TV? Is that true love? You see, our culture constantly talks about love. It constantly talks about love, and we've been skewed of what this means. And especially during this Christmas season, there's one thing. There's one thing during this Christmas season. Hallmark movies. (laughs) Hallmark movies, they're characterized by men slowly pursuing women based on this magical feeling that they have in their stomach. Is that true love? Is this really what love is? So is it that feeling in your stomach or is it a verb or is it an action that we have to take? It's not that simple. You see, in, in the Greek, there are actually four words for love. And so if you're taking notes today, you can write these down. But the first one is eros. We see this is a type of romantic love. This is between a husband and a wife, this romantic love. Number two, we see philia. This is a friendship type of love. It's a partnership Number three, we see storge. This is instinctual love. This is the type of love a parent has for the child. And lastly, we see agape love. And this is sacrificial love. Agape love is looking out for someone else and not yourself. Agape love is looking at the welfare of someone else for their good and not your own. It's looking outwardly, not inwardly. And throughout my studies this week, it's evident that Christ's love for us as believers and in this Christmas story is agape love. It's sacrificial and for the welfare of his people. This love is demonstrated so well in Jesus' life. And we see in 1 John 3.16, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Guys, this is true love. This is what true love. It's a sacrificial love. It's not that feeling in your stomach like a Hallmark movie. It's laying down one life. And we see this in Jesus' life in particular. So today we're going to be looking, if you have your Bible, in John 3 at the story of Nicodemus. So as you're turning there, I'm going I'm to set it up for you guys, right? So in this story, we see Jesus meets with Nicodemus, which is, he is a, he's a Pharisee. And Nicodemus understands Jesus' authority, claiming that he is from God, but he's still very confused. He's impressed, but he's not convicted. Jesus then responds to Nicodemus by saying that you must be born again. You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is obviously very confused, because all he's known is the Old Covenant. He doesn't doesn't know what this means to be born, born again. And so Jesus explains that he came down for a purpose. He left his throne so that whoever believes has eternal life. But why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus do this? Why did he leave heaven to come down as a baby? And Nicodemus, I'm sure, he's still super confused, so Jesus tells Nicodemus his plan from the beginning of time. And we see that in John 3, 16 and 17. So read it with me, it'll also be on the screen. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order to that the world might be saved through him. Let me pray. God, we, we are so thankful that you love us. We're so thankful that you lavish your love upon us and you protect us and you secure us in your love. God, we take it for granted sometimes. And God, even looking at a verse so simple as John three sixteen, I pray that our hearts are just softened so that we can hear your word. I pray that our ears are ready to listen. I pray that you begin just the new work in some people here. Maybe their hearts are hard and maybe they don't they don't want to hear your word, what you have to say. But God, I pray that they realize that you you love them. I pray that your love just penetrates to the depths of their heart, and that they walk out of here a new creation. And not by anything that I've said, but by by what you have to say. And so, God, we're just thankful for you, and I pray that uh God we just walk out of here with one cause and, and knowing that you love us. And so, Jesus' in the name I pray. Amen. All right, so John three, sixteen through seventeen. This is true love. So with all of that being said, today we're going to be looking at practical applications of how Christ coming as a baby changes everything. So point number one, if you're taking notes, love is sacrificial. So if you're taking notes today, love is sacrificial. We saw in 1 John 3.16 that Christ laid down his life for us. He died on the cross so that the world might believe. We also see in John 3:16 that God loved the world so much that he gave his son, he gave his son Jesus for us, for you and for me so that we might have life. God sacrificed his son. Now if you're new to this whole thing, you're like, okay, Jesus is a son but God is his dad. Like, I thought God was an eternal being, and Jesus is also an eternal being. So, like, I'm, I'm super confused right now. That's okay. We're, we're going to explain it. We're going to look at what this means that Jesus is God's son. And why it's so important that God gave up his son for us. And what this truly looks like. You see, to answer this, we're going to look at a couple passages. But first, we're going to go back to be- the beginning of John. So if you have your Bible, turn to John 1.1. 1, 1. It'll also be on the screen. So John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, In that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, the word was with God and the word was God. Later in verses 14, it says, In the word, this is super important. In the word that we just read about, became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It says, We have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word became flesh and dwelt. This word dwelt is the same language that language that we see in Exodus, where God resides in the midst of his people, Israel. So it highlights that while Christ did not take on, while Christ did take on full humanity, it shows that he is only here temporarily. This is not his real home. His real home is in heaven where he was dwelling with God. But he came to dwell among us as his chosen people. So this verse shows the love that God has for his son Jesus. It highlights the beauty, the beauty of Christ, his power, his authority, and his kingship. You see, Jesus is God's son, but Jesus is also God because he has authority on heaven and on earth. You see, it's crazy to me that John spends the first 18 verses of the book introducing Jesus as a glorious Savior, one who had it all, he was with God, and he was the Word, yet he sacrificed that to come down as a baby in a manger. It's mind-boggling. He sacrificed all of that to come and dwell among us as the Word. So if you're still confused about Jesus being God's son, I'm going to read another verse and hopefully clear it up just a little bit more. If you have your Bible, go to Colossians 1, 15 through 17. It'll be on the screen as well. So Colossians 1, 15 through 17. It says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. All right, so time out. You're probably like, okay, Jack, I just saw the word firstborn Does that mean he's created, like born? It's like, no, Christ was not a created being. Christ is an eternal being. So typically, what would happen back then is that the eldest child, also known as the firstborn, would gain all of the inheritance that the father has. So when we put that into practice in this verse in Colossians, we see that Christ is simply inheriting all of creation. This verse in Colossians 1 is saying that Christ has kingship because he is God's son. We know in Psalm 89, 27, it says that David will be made firstborn and be made the highest king over earth. Well, we know that David foreshadows a better Christ, a better king, and that is Christ. You see, all this means is that Christ has authority. Christ inherits the earth as his creation, and he has ultimate authority. So read the rest of the Colossians passage with me, starting in verse 16. So Colossians 1, 16. It says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, I don't know about you guys, but these verses, they're crazy. They change everything about John 3.16. When we realize that Jesus had all authority in heaven and on earth, he was in heaven with God of the universe, and God gave him up to us, is the most mind-boggling thing that I've ever heard in my life. He had all authority. He was sitting at the right hand of God. But God gave him up for us. So to understand that God gave up his son, we have to understand that Jesus had ultimate authority. Jesus is a true and better king. See, Jesus willingly came down as a baby for us and he left his home to be in a wicked world yet he came and died for us. So when we go back to this idea of agape love, we see agape love is sacrificial love and for the welfare of others. And God is giving us something, his son, for the welfare of his people. He gave up his son for us. A couple Wednesdays ago, Brian was also talking to the students of what this love looks like. And Brian was saying how there's, there's something that changes in you when you become a parent and you hold that child for the very first time. You've been waiting for this child and you finally get to hold it in your arms. And Brian said, he said, there's nothing that you would not do for that child. You would die for them if it meant protecting them. Parents, do you agree? You would die for your, your child if it meant protecting them. Man, I can't imagine God having to give up his son when he knew that he was going to die at the hands of his people that he intended to save. That, it's truly amazing. We serve a God of love, and a, a God who not only loves his son, but a God who loves his people. And he graciously gives us all things. Romans 8.32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? With this verse in mind, we know that our God loves us and he has our back. We serve a God of love and it's a sacrificial love. He gave up his own son so that we may have eternal life. Verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world. When we substitute, insert your name there. For God so loved you the believer in the room, that he gave up his son. He gave up and sacrificed his son for you. You see, many think that sending Jesus was a backup plan, but we knew this was going to happen even in the Old Testament. The first mention of Christ is in Genesis 3.15. If you're taking notes, Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. Here it is. It says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. All right, so there's a big word coming up. This, Genesis 3.15, is known as the Proto-Evangelion. All right, Proto, Evangelium. alright proto we are going to break this down. Proto means first. So Proto means first. Evangelion means good news or gospel. So put them together. In Genesis 3.15, we have the first good news. We have the first gospel. It was not a backup plan to send Jesus, and it was not because we messed up. It was a plan from the start. This was the plan from the start to send Jesus to give up his only son for the sins of the world. And Jesus gladly did it for you and for me. He was not forced. He did this out of love. He did this out of agape love. And that's what this Christmas season is all about. We're looking at hope, peace, joy, and love. God created us in love, and he sent his son out of love as well. So be reminded of that today. God sent his son to be sacrificed for you. He sent his son as a baby for you. Man, like I said earlier, can you... Can you imagine giving up what you love most or who you love most to be mocked and persecuted and killed at the hands of the people that you intended to save? It blows my mind, and it's something that we need to be reminded of daily, that God loves us. So we've seen how God's love is sacrificial in sending Jesus. Now let's look at how God's love is secure because of Jesus' coming during this Advent season. So, if you're taking notes, point number two, love is secure. So, read with me in verse 17. It says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So, there's two truths about God that must be talked about before continuing this point of love is secure. Isaiah 40, 28, Isaiah 40, 28 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So truth number one, we see in Isaiah 40, the Lord is everlasting. The Lord is everlasting. He does not faint and he does not grow weary. He does not grow tired. He's an everlasting God. And number two, we see 1 John 4.8. 1 John 4.8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. So in 1 John, simple truth, God is love. God is love. So the Lord is an everlasting God, and we know God is love. We can come to one simple conclusion with those two verses. And it's that God's love is everlasting and endures forever. If God is love and God is everlasting, then his love endures forever. This is such an important promise because it reminds us of who God is. He never lets us down, He doesn't ease up on his love when we sin, but he loves us so that we are reminded of who he is and how his love saves us. Church, his love is our security. God's love is our security as believers. You see, not only is God's love secure, but he lavishes his love upon us throughout eternity. His love is our security. We see at the end of verse 16 that we shall not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal is a word that we simply cannot comprehend. But we do know that it's a long time. It's a long time, but with those two simple truths, we know that our God preserves us for eternity by his love. It's a continual state of love. You see, as a church, we also just went through Exodus, and we saw in Exodus 12 the institution of the Passover. So this word Passover in Hebrew, it does not simply mean to walk by and forget. We know that it's a state of continually acting on behalf of someone. So this word Passover does not mean to walk by in Hebrew. We know that during the Passover, God, God simply didn't see the blood on the doorframe and, and, and check it off the list. My people, you're good. Let's walk on by. It's like, no, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to protect you. I'm in a continual state of preserving and protecting in the same way, it sounds awfully familiar, we see Christ do this for us on the cross. So we see Christ do this for us on the cross. And we also, we see God do this for eternity. As believers, we are in a constant state of being loved. Preserved, protected, and claimed as his. Christ's love is secure. It is our security. 1 John 4.18 If you're taking notes, 1 John 4.18. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You see, church, we live in a society that is very confused on what love is. We live in a society that is very confused on what love is, and it's because... Not many of us know what true love is. Not many of us know what true love really is. And it's because it can only be found in the Father. And I think if people were brutally honest, I think that they would say that they're scared of God's love. They're scared of God's love. Let me explain. There's a, there's a book called Not Forsaken. There's a book called Not Forsaken by Louis Giglio. And in this book, he talks about God's love for us as believers. And in one particular chapter, he talks about how we have this urge as sons and daughters to gain our earthly father's approval. We have this urge in us, intrinsically wired in us, to want our earthly father's approval. Now, some of you are, are soured by the mere mention of a father figure. Or maybe some of you had a great father figure and you should be thankful for that. But this, this is really important and I want you guys to hear this today. Giglio says, one of Satan's greatest tactics to get us to hate our heavenly father is to trick us into thinking God is like our earthly one. I'll say that again. One of Satan's greatest tactics to get us to hate our heavenly father is to trick us into thinking God is like our earthly one. You guys, I'm here to tell you that God's love for you far surpasses whatever your earthly one gives you. If you had a great father figure, amazing. I'm so so happy that you had a father figure in your life that demonstrated Christ's love. But if your earthly father was absent, unloving, or angry, I want to tell you that my God is not like that. My God cast out fear in love. There is no fear in God's love for his children. My God is a God of love that loves his children, who protects and cares and preserves and also secures. Christ's love is perfect, and there's no fear in that. You see, we live in a society that, that leaves whenever they don't feel the love anymore. They move on to go find someone else to, so that they can have that feeling again. You guys, there's no security in this. There's no security in trying to find an earthly love. But I want to tell you that Christ's love for you is not going anywhere. Christ's love for you is here to stay and there's no fear in that. You see, church, he loves you so much that he left heaven to come down as a baby and he came down as a baby in a manger to be the savior of the world. For you and for me. We find our security in the God of the universe. We have eternal life in him. That's what this verse is saying, John 3, 16 and 17. We have eternal life in him. And eternal sounds pretty secure to me. See, verse 17 mentions we are saved through Christ. And when Christ saves us, there is no fear because we know he will hold us. And we know that his love will not waver. There's a perfect example of this in Romans 8, 37 through 39, it reads, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, quite literally nothing can separate you from the love of God. As a believer, you will never be unloved. Once God has a hold of you, you are never let go. The trials of this world have no say, the suffering has no part, and the enemy has no hold over you. You are held by God's love, and we see that in this story in John 3. You see, as believers, we do not perish but we know that Christ has come to save and do the opposite of that. He has come to give us eternal life. Now, some people think that Nicodemus, uh, he came to Jesus at nighttime to symbolize where he was spiritually. He was in the dark. But we know that once we believe and born again, that we are brought to the light. And we see later in 18 through 21 that the people love the darkness rather than the light. In fact, they wanted nothing to do with Jesus and they wanted to stay in the dark. But the thing about the dark is that there's no hope, there's no security, there's no love, and there's no power. It's a void that looks fun for a while, but then you realize later on in life that you trusted and put your hopes in the wrong thing. The thing about the dark is that life cannot sustain. Life does not sustain in the dark. But we know that our God sent his Son so that we may have everlasting life and be brought into the light. So, church, step into the light. Step into the light. You see, my urge for you today is to understand that Christ is for you, he's not against you. Verse 17 tells us that he did not send his Son, Jesus, to condemn but to save. And when we believe, we will be saved through him. And when we are saved, we are also secured in his love. Find your security in the only thing that will bring peace and love, not the vain things of the world. So we've discussed how God's love is sacrificial and how it also secures. So I've got three application points before we leave today of just God's love for you. So if you're taking notes, point number one is Christ is not finished with you. Just like I mentioned at the beginning of the story, the story is Nicodemus and Jesus. We know Nicodemus is a Pharisee who is probably adamantly against Jesus and his ministry. Considering it was the Sanhedrin that got together to plot the death of Jesus, we can suspect that he was against Jesus as well. Now, we don't know what happened after this conversation in John 3.16. While some claim that he was impressed with Jesus, but not fully convicted, others point to John 19.39, when Nicodemus brought myrrh and aloes to help prepare Jesus for burial. They say that is, that's him openly identifying with Christ. You see, we don't know exactly what happened. We don't know 100%. But what I can say 100% right here is, is that each and every believer in this room was once a Nicodemus. You see, we're sinful people who were once living in the dark. And Christ came to heal the sick, and that's us. Christ moves through sinful people. See, none of us are healthy, therefore we all need a doctor. Christ is for us, and he wants our filth because he can work through that. He can work through that when we have nothing else to offer because we have nothing else to offer. You are not unlovable and Christ is not finished with you. Christ is not done with you. Christ sent his son to die on this earth because he loves you. Never, ever forget that. So point number one, Christ is not finished with you. Number two, loved people, loved people. Loved people, loved people. So because Christ loved us, we need to love others. 1 Corinthians thirteen two through 6 it says, And if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Verse 4 tells us what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. This is true love. And each one of those things is what Christ demonstrated on the cross for you. You see, love people because Christ loved you first. If the God of the universe can forgive you for sinning against the holy God, then you can forgive and love one another human beings. Now don't show them the world's version of love. Show them Christ's love, which is pure and sacrificial. And that's my urge for you today. Loved people, Love people. So lastly, if you're taking notes, remind yourself of God's love for you. Remind yourself of God's love for you. So as I was preparing for the sermon, every morning when I woke up, I read John three sixteen and 17. Every single morning. I would wake up, I'd open my Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For God so loved his world that he gave his only son. Over and over and over. To just let it sink in. I think we take this verse for granted a lot. It's one of those verses that we were just taught as kids and it's it's simple if you want to say that and we've just honestly become numb. We've become numb to the fact that God sent his son for us. Like God sent his son for you and for me so that we can have eternal life. Man, what a good promise. Like, that changed everything throughout this week. It's, it's not just a simple memory verse. It's God so loved the world that he gave his son for you. That's what it is. It's eternal life and it's promised if you put your faith and trust in him. See, it's forever with the king of kings and him lavishing his love on us. The king of kings loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. You see, the gospel not only saves, but it preserves. And it reminds us of who we are and whose we are, which is God's. See, throughout this Advent series, that is what we are reminded of. We looked at hope and how we put our hope in a baby that came from glory. But now we look at how God loved us so much that he sent that baby to die for us. And so if you're here today and you feel unloved, hopeless, and lost... Then boy do I have good news for you? Because you are in the right place. And it's not because anything I can do, but it's because of what Christ can do and because of what he already has done. He can make you a new creation. So throughout this Advent season and the coming of a king, we are reminded of Christ's love for us as his people. So as Brian comes up here to sing the invitation, and if if you just feel God moving, Like, I encourage you to do business with God. Whatever that looks like. I don't know what that looks like for you. I'm not going to tell you to do anything. I can't make you do anything. But if you feel God moving, trust him. Take the leap of faith and surrender. Because Christ is for you and Christ loves you. And he sent his son to die for you. Not to condemn, but to save. And so if you wanna do business, whatever that looks like, stay in your seat, come to the front, talk to Jeremy, grab someone next to you, do business with God and surrender. So let me pray. God, we just love you and we're so thankful for you, but God, you loved us first. And I pray that we're reminded of that every single time we, we take a breath, God, that you sustain us, that you preserve us, that you secure us and that you're for us. God, you sacrificed your son for us, that's the gospel, that's the good news. You sent your son to die so that we can have life with you. And so God, today I just pray that you're softening hearts even as we speak. God, I just pray that someone takes the leap of faith and surrenders to you. Not because of what I've said, but because of what you've said, God. And we're just so thankful for you.